It's days before Christmas and all through the town. The OFAD deliveryway is about to go down. Bavink's dogmatics delivered with care. Not put in your stocking because it would tear. Hello, OFAD lads and lasses. The first ever OFAD Christmas deliveryway is underway. We'll be giving one providentially favored winner a choice of Bavink's Reform Dogmatics or a $100 gift card to Reformation Heritage Books. Entries close on Christmas Day and we will announce a winner during our show on December 27th. To enter or find more information, visit us at onceforalldelivered.com or on social media at OFAD Podcast. Open to U.S. residents only. Merry Christmas to all. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Welcome to Once for All Delivered, episode three. Yeah. <laughs> such an enthusiasm. <laughs> the show would probably go a lot better if we, you know, planned what we were going to say, but that's above our budget and such, but um, ma- mainly our budget for mental capacity. <laughs> if you would like anyway, to support. <laughs> no. If you would like um, to receive better introductions and outros, then and join us uh, join us with a full-time subscription. Yes. Speaking of, we've got something exciting going on right now. The uh first ever uh, OFAD deliveryway, the Christmas deliveryway. Uh, because of the generosity of our paid subscribers, we are giving away to one providentially favored winner a copy, either a set of Bovink's Reform Dogmatics, the choice of that, or a $100 gift card to Reformation Heritage Books. So you can enter that. There's links on our website and on our social media. So onceforalldelivered.com or at OFAD Podcast. You can get in, get your entries, share it around to get more entries. Um, but yeah, an opportunity for you to get the biggest and best Bob Inc. on us for this Christmas. We'll be accepting entries through Christmas Day, and then we will announce a winner on our show that will air on the 27th, which is my birthday. But on my birthday, I give you gifts, apparently. Yeah, don't ever forget that. So that way, next year, when Andrew's birthday comes around again, uh, be sure to send him your wish list. Uh, through his email uh, with also uh, yes you won't just hear that announcement here but uh, also hear it on um, uh, also on our feeds uh, whether you follow us on social media or um, you know you're you're following through uh, your podcast uh, provider you can hear uh, you can hear an announcement for the 
giveaway details, um, as well as a really fantastic uh, accent from Andrew. Um, I think it's something. Oh, but Caleb, that's not me. Because of the generosity of our paid subscribers, we have actually hired Santa Claus to do voiceovers for us. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. I didn't realize that the North Pole uh, dialect of English is uh, something of a transatlantic or British uh, accent. Hey, I didn't either, but, you know, live and learn. But all this to say, if you like doing things like this and us having things like this and want to help us grow the show, um, consider becoming a paid subscriber. We can do more new and fun and exciting stuff like this. Use it to grow the show. Make it better. This is a way that you can help us do that because we, of the generosity of subscribers, were able to do this giveaway and also hire Santa Claus And so, if you want us to keep doing things like that, uh, consider supporting us. But anyway... uh, Well, wait, wait, hold on. So, the long story short, then, for to summarize all of that, is you give us your money, and we give you things. It's not communism. Don't ever confuse it with communism. It's pure capitalism, baby. Yes, it is. So, on that note, let's talk about culture and stuff yeah grace renews nature episode three part two of grace renews nature andrew you've you've actually referred to a couple times now for the image of god um uh you've referred to uh, ephesians four twenty four and colossians three ten. uh do you want to go ahead and actually read those for us uh, and kind of relate to our conversation then of what is being what was lost and then what is being restored after the fall sure uh, so Colossians 3.10, and it's really interesting, I've been preaching the book of Colossians recently, and Colossians Colossians and Ephesians are very similar. In fact, one of my pastor friends was joking, you know, Paul wrote a commentary on Colossians, it's called Ephesians. <laughs> um, so in Colossians 3.10, you say, in fact, I'll read verse 9 just to get some context, because it's Paul giving ethical teaching uh, about the new man, uh, the new life, as opposed to the old man. And so he says in verses 9 and 10, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. So, this knowledge being according to the image of God, the Creator. Uh, so that's where you get knowledge, as the confession uses. But then you go over to Ephesians 4. Uh, similarly says, I'm going to start actually up in verse 20 to build the context there. It says, but, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then this is verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, so there you have the image again, in true righteousness and holiness. So in these two verses, we get these three elements, this knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, this true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, which is after the image of God. Yeah, and and, and those could be further broken down. Uh, we, we already explained uh, knowledge in terms of understanding uh, oneself in relation to God, 
his neighbor and the world around him. But then the, the righteousness is uh, the ability to do justice, uh, uh, to do rightly, and uh, and a holiness is to do it in a devotion towards God as a service and act towards God, setting apart one's uh, whole self and external exercise of uh, knowledge and righteousness towards uh, God as an act of worship and praise to his glory. So uh, the issue we need to deal with then is if these are the things that belong to the image of God, what happens to them after the fall? Because we live now in this fallen world. We live on this side of man having lost this true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. To what extent has he lost it and what... What happens to man in the fallen and sinful state? Yeah, and you've you've already brought up a little bit here too uh, earlier on at the beginning of this episode um, in saying that there's there's uh, some like uh, the writer of the Heidel- one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechisms, uh, Zacharias or Sinus, late 16th century uh, uh, theologian and professor, that he said that the the image of God was uh, lost altogether. You've talked about that in certain more modern iterations, if you will, uh, so to speak of Reformed theology, uh, what might be seen in 19th century, uh, early 20th century Dutch theologian Herman Bovink, that there is a retaining of the uh, image of God and that, that what had occurred was a corruption. We, we could, I think, uh, uh, find actually there, find a balance in between the two in saying, yes, both and. So strictly speaking, I would say Ursinus is correct in saying that with the image of God, the knowledge, righteousness, and holiness that had been written on the heart, on in the soul, after the fall, was lost. And this is what actually makes man dead. He does lose those faculties in the sense of their being in the image of God. Because if it's it, if those things are corrupted by uh, sin, those things are then 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 that is no longer. Uh, being after uh, the likeness of God. <clears throat> As there is no sin in God, there is no darkness or, or dimming. But in a broader sense, the whole of man, the, the, the entirety of the, the human race was created after God's image. And uh, this is clearly manifested that there is a retention uh, of it. There is something of a, of a maybe we could say a, a phantom limb. You might hear stories of how Someone that later in life had 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 lost a hand and arm. Uh, sometimes they can still feel, or have, they could they could as as it were feel things of their arm. They could feel like a muscle uh, twitch, or uh, as if they could still feel the moving in, of their fingers uh, or an itch or something. The image of God in this broad sense is perhaps like a phantom limb in that uh, we we still see man uh, is able to exercise uh, dominion over things in creation. Man does still show some kind of semblance of, of authority in, in utilizing the things of the earth as as a fast example. A man can go and kill an animal and utilize its skin for garments or, uh, or can weave together cotton and flax or whatever to make clothing. A uh, man can go and compress sand and, and, and whatnot uh, to create glass. Man can still harness his authority over the things and materials of this world. And man still retains uh, an immortality of the, uh, of the soul uh, as a gift from God. 
the only thing is that these these little uh, remnants or glimmerings aren't enough to keep us in the presence or favor of God. They're not enough to save our souls. Man has a, something of an innate knowledge of God, uh, what, what John Calvin would call the seed of religion. Man is inclined towards a religious existence, giving his devotion to something, to uh, to other gods, to things of nature, to cash, money, uh, to, to, to cars, uh, sex, whatever. But none of that is able to pursue uh, or obtain a renewal of true knowledge uh, true righteousness and true holiness as he was made in. Right. Uh, this is where the distinction comes in uh, that is important post-fall between common grace and special grace, redemptive grace. I have a, I have a quote here from Bob Inc. that I think helps to flesh out this relationship well. It is on... Volume 2 of Reformed Ethics on page 149 it says, But God also works with the entire human race more generally. Immediately after the fall, God delayed both eternal and temporal death. Because you think, in terms of the knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, at the loss of those... Uh, what is justly deserved is death. But continuing on in the quote, God also mitigated spiritual death in various ways. Spiritual death consists of the inability to do good and the inclination to evil to live for sin and unto death. In many ways, God tempers this inclination to evil. From the fall onward, human life and humanity itself have come under the purview of common grace. So, that term. It is not self-evident that humanity should exist. That we do exist and enjoy blessings is not simply grounded in the order of creation, because our sin forfeits our right to exist, as well as the content of our life. Nevertheless, as we distinguish the two spheres of creation and redemption, common grace belongs to the sphere of creation. This fruit of common grace being allowed to retain something of what we by nature possessed in Adam, we must not forget, is a gift of grace. It is not ours by right or covenant. It is in this sense that we also speak of natural theology, natural morality, and natural law. Even though we retain them only as gifts, they are remnants graciously left behind for us of what we once possessed by nature. Leaving them for us and giving them to us is an act of grace, but the content of the giving, the gift itself, is not a superadded gift, but a natural gift. It can be expressed more clearly this way. All of life and all of humanity fall within the purview of patience of God's forbearance. I know that's a long quote and there's a lot there, but I think it helps to sort of flesh out the distinctions and implications uh, of man in the post-fall state. There's a number of people, um, even in the, the reform camp, uh, or perhaps even you could say especially, uh, especially in the reform camp, that does not like this language of common grace because grace is is seen to be restricted towards that which is for the purpose of salvation there's a couple questions that we could ask then of uh for, for one thing we want to make distinctions without separations we, we we can make a distinction between something without saying that that they are opposed from one another or that there is no common source so in other words we, we could say 
there aren't two graces in God when we say that there is a common grace and a, say, a saving grace. God doesn't have two graces, but this is a single grace uh, with particular manifestations. Uh, so different ways of dealing with the world and, and uh, particular people towards his overall purposes of the kingdom, the, 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 the consummation in the new heavens and new earth. So however he deals with man uh, is in ultimate service to these things and to the benefit of his elect and the advancement of his kingdom. In the same way, then, if God is dealing with all men in a, a way that favors man above other creatures, it only increases man's debt to God, uh, sinner's debt to God. And for those sinners to not turn, repent, and believe in, in uh, walk in holiness only furthers their condemnation. So some people like to say, uh, rather than common grace, they'll like to just talk about a general goodness of God, a kindness, uh, a, uh, a patience, or... Um, a common favor or right, providence, favor. I've heard described that way as well. Right, alternative terms. But those terms are, are uh, really, I mean, the exact same thing that uh, we're talking about for common grace, are they not? Yeah, they are. Um, really, the dispute over common grace, at least the way I see it and from the people I've talked to and stuff, it seems to be more a debate over semantics and over the choice of words than over the substance of doctrine. Uh, they're kind of just different ways of saying the same thing and of grasping the same concept. And I know it's it's more than that, but at a very basic level, that seems to be mostly what's going on. Yeah, and there's a... Uh, I'd say that, like, really, the, the implications um, for the gospel become a, a one of the bigger issues. Uh, in other words, an implications for then uh, renewal in relation to God's operations of the Spirit. Um, does God sincerely offer the gospel to everyone uh, without discrimination? Ultimately, is the call or invitations or summons of the gospel, however, however we want to put this, is it? truly being presented and offered to, say, the the person that will never believe, uh, even if they're in the pew? Is the Spirit at work in the preaching of the gospel, even if someone is not, uh, does not believe it when they hear it preached? So those are those, those you know, questions for food for thought. This common grace is speaking of, uh, though, as a whole, that God's Spirit is always at work for God's purposes. You know, and he does exercise influence upon man as a whole. Does the spirit not, you know, restrain sin, uh, even in in the hearts of unbelievers? I mean, clearly he does. And this was sort of hinted at in this Bovink quote. And mm -hmm. I've heard others put it. Uh, I know R.C. Sproul, for one, has said this and others. This is a distinction between total depravity and utter depravity. Total depravity is the, yeah, all men are fallen and sinful and uh, inclined to sin. But utter depravity is what we are not. Uh, utter depravity is we're all as evil as we could be all the time. One of the fruits of this common grace is there is a restraint on sin. Though we are all fallen and sinful, we are not as fallen and sinful as we could be. We are uh, still somewhat knowledgeable of and oriented towards uh, doing good instead of evil. Again, I mean, we are fallen. We all sin. 
we don't do very good, but we at least have some concept of right and wrong and seek to live accordingly. Right. It's properly understood this whole thing uh, in in the topic of uh, doctrine or teachings relating to the Holy Spirit, uh, as we're already saying here. You know, for example, for, for, for men to rebel and to grieve the Spirit of God, there has to be some kind of interaction as a whole and not in abstract. Uh, there has to be some kind of interaction relation with that Holy Spirit uh, in a way that that um, is not saving. The Lord is preserving man. There's, uh, you know, I think Genesis 6-3 is a good example of that where the Lord says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. And he's talking about there in Genesis 6-3 um, a preservation of man as a race. Mm-hmm. But as we've talked about, this common grace has a purpose. It has an end. It has a telos. It serves special grace. It serves ultimately the purpose of redemption. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that it doesn't do things and affect things outside of redemption. But ultimately, that is the goal. It is to preserve the world, preserve humanity, preserve society so that God's plan and works of redemption and of renewal can come to pass. Right. So so we could say uh, common grace and, and general revelation, the general what's retained in the heart of man, like we said, that, that's still kind of innate knowledge of God, even if it's suppressed in unrighteousness and wickedness, Romans 1, the immortality of the soul and man's exercise of dominion. Those things, as well as the general witness of all of creation around us, as a testimony to God as creator. All of this continues on uh, as a, if you will, a uh, context or, or backdrop to what God is doing in history uh, salvifically for his saving purposes and, again, for the advancement and consummation, the final uh, manifestation that will be everlasting of his kingdom. So we've laid out some of the basic categories of nature and of grace of, you know, what belongs to creation versus what belongs to redemption in these terms that Bob Inc. uses. But what we're arguing for is this position that grace renews or grace restores nature. And so what we'd like to do is uh, just quickly walk through some of the biblical evidence in favor of this position. Yeah, so in, in, uh, in Hebrews 1-3, you know, the, the author of Hebrews at, uh, in that first chapter, is, and really, I mean, the entire book is is uh, talking about the uh, superiority, supremacy uh, of Christ in all things and over all things in a nutshell. But Hebrews 1-3 says that he, being Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what's particular there is to note that, that that phrase, the exact imprint of his nature. And this is this is speaking of the precise exact likeness of God, being God himself in his divinity. And so this is where man is, you know, man is made in the image of God. But Christ is the exact express image of God. Now, when, when we are brought to life again, regenerated, restored by, renewed by the Holy Spirit, what is he us renewing us to? Not to that old image of, of man, not per se, but into the image of true man, Jesus Christ. Right. 
we also similarly have these texts that we already brought up in Colossians 3.10, Ephesians 4.24, uh, that talk about as a part of the new man, the man that comes as a result of salvation. We have this re- remaking, renewing back into the image of God as expressed through uh, obedience, as expressed through uh, the keeping of commands, the striving for the keeping of God's commands, and to love God and love neighbor as we ought. Another way we see this is in the renewing of our minds. We see this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, just a quick pause there. We talk about being holy. True holiness is lost in the fall. So we're talking in terms of the giving back of the things that were lost. And then continuing into verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this renewing of our mind, there's a term it's popular in like the thoughts and theology of like Cornelius Van Til and others, the noetic effects of the fall, the fall corrupts our true knowledge. It corrupts our reason. It corrupts our ability to think properly. But part of this renewal is we are being given back our ability to think properly, to think God's thoughts after him, to use the the Bavink term for it, and also to prove, so to know and to do what is good and acceptable and perfect to God. Even if not perfectly in this life, um, there is at least a a renewal, a a sanctif- in our sanctification, there is a working towards gaining back that righteousness as well and holiness yeah it's a conformity to christ's uh to christ's mind christ's affections and christ uh christ's will which are all oriented to the glory of the father uh through the power of the holy spirit and so so this, this is what comes uh is is then uh, also in man when he is uh united to jesus by the holy spirit which you'll often see uh, throughout the New Testament um, spoken of in the phrase in Christ. That is what being in Christ is. We are in Christ by being united to him through the power of the Spirit. Uh, A brief text also kind of uh, what we're talking about here, a famous one from Romans 8, uh, 29, talking about uh, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We won't have to go into the whole election predestination thing here at this at this moment, but understand that the the purpose or plan from the beginning uh, for redeemed man is conformity to Jesus Christ. And we talk about this purpose of being conformed to Christ, um, the purpose of this all being for Christ. We get this point driven home in Colossians three fifteen and sixteen, and it ties us back to creation says he so christ is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him you get similar language echoed in john chapter one in that famous trinitarian prologue and about the incarnation 
In John 1, 3, all things were made through him, being the word, the son, Christ, and without him nothing was made that was made. So you also have in the Gospels echoing this, though Paul is more explicit on the purpose. It was made not only through him, but made for him and towards his purposes. Yeah, and you and we, we I mean, we could keep going where I mean, this is this is all over, uh, especially Paul's writings, um, but all, all throughout the New Testament, uh, Ephesians 4.13, again, we'll talk about uh, coming into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so that, that, so what we are looking forward to at the end of, uh, of all things of this age, uh, is a renewal to the fullness of Christ or, or growing into that full maturity and expression of the image of Jesus Christ. But, and along with that, as, uh, Andrew had read from Colossians, uh, 1, 15, 16, that all things are made through him and for him is also then uh, uh, a covering of the entirety of creation, that all things are for him. And they, they have a purpose in place in the renewal of uh, of this fallen world. And this also brings forth things like if we're looking at we're being renewed, if we're being restored to what we were and what we had before creation, then that incorporates things like we're being renewed and restored in dominion over creation, uh, things of that sort. And that's going to be the things that as we work through the rest of this series, we'll be working out as far as like in light of this biblical doctrinal teaching, how do we relate to the world around us? How do we relate to culture? Those are the issues we're going to continue to flesh out as well as, Look at some more alternative views, various ways and ideas and differing ideas on how people work these things out practically. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, this is, this is one of those beautiful, uh, doctrines that can, that, that's mined from scripture. This, this renewal of all things. Um, you know, you could talk about first Peter one and, uh, this hope, uh, this expectation and hope of glory. It's not just uh, my own personal salvation. It's not just the salvation of your brothers and sisters in the church, but the hope of glory encapsulating all things as the kingdom comes down, becomes manifest. Yeah. Which gets into obviously differing views of eschatology and other things, which again, as we work our way through, we'll, we'll, we'll look at some of these issues and, 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 uh, make the case for ours it's all related <laughs> yep <laughs> well, but we yep. are out of time for now we thank you for joining us for uh, this episode of once for all delivered you can reach us on social media at ofad podcast if you have any questions comments or email us ofad podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you if you have questions comments complaints uh, well, it's no, always we don't nice to hear from our listeners. Well, we don't want. Uh, you can you, you can send those directly to Caleb at, <laughs> at censored. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now back to uh, we also um, mentioned at the end of our our last episode that if you yeah if you do have recommendations, um, especially those for uh, anything else in in the podcast, uh, we would. Gladly, uh, gladly receive those and consider those, you know, do share. I know, I know we, we, we can get a bit into the, to the weeds in, in these, uh, these kind of topics, but, you know, uh, we, we, we do hope that this is another means of showing 
the depths and richness of scripture and doctrines of the church. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so if, if you have recommendations and if you would like to hear us uh, have a moment of auto-tune uh, in the uh, episode, then uh, be sure to let us know. Though also please let us know how to do it because I've got no idea. <laughs> we'll have to figure it out for the kingdom. Yes. So, <laughs> since we still don't have it figured out our new pithy sign-off phase... Or phrase like we used to have, I guess. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Pithy sign-off race. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, Leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once for All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.